0: I'm just fucking dumb.
1: Erin is a self-proclaimed authenticity expert who stopped subscribing to the bullshit a long time ago. A two-time survivor of sexual violence, she knows that in order to find true happiness, you've got to do some work on yourself for yourself. Jenna battled anorexia for
0: 11 years with many ups and downs is currently working to find true recovery and sharing her journey
1: along the way. Finding authenticity is all about being true to ourselves without having to apologize for it. So stay tuned for all the mental health, adulting,
0: self-development, and day-to-day musings of us. And welcome to the Finding
1: Authenticity podcast
0: with Erin and Jen.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Finding Authenticity podcast. It's your girls, Erin and Jen, back at it again with another awesome guest episode. But before we jump into that, you know how we do it here. Jennifer, gotta give me your check-in. How you doing?
0: I am doing pretty okay. I honestly don't have a ton to say for my check-in today. But, you know, things are good. Just chilling, working, living life. Um, Yeah body image has been kind of shitty lately but we're working on it and yeah honestly like I literally have nothing to say so it's gonna be short and sweet this week ladies and gentlemen (laughs) how about you
1: well before we get into me I have some things to say about you oh okay (laughs) I'm gonna let the people know Let them know how it is. Well, A, I mean, when it comes to your body image, I think this is the first time probably ever that you're growing into a healthy and functional body. So I think hitting some speed bumps on the way is totally natural. But that's why I'm here to tell you that you're a hot ass bitch and that your ED can absolutely suck my dick. Because we don't need that energy. (laughs) We do not. We
0: definitely do not.
1: And then, I would like to reiterate what your friend said to you the other day. Uh, Jen's being a little little too humble during her check-in right now because she's killing it. She's killing the game, guys. She's got this podcast. She started her full-time job. And, like, you know, she's got her art businesses. She's absolutely killing it, and I don't think she's giving herself enough credit. So, I'm going to hype up my girl on the podcast just like her friend did to her the other day. So I'm just going to reiterate that you know, in the podcast so that if you hear this, make sure you hype up Jen because she deserves it.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I do.
1: You're very welcome. Also, you look very pretty today.
0: Oh, thanks. Oh, you're Put welcome. makeup on. Put makeup on for the, actually, no, not for the first time in a while. But, you know, normally I don't on like work days. I literally just like show up to the computer and I'm like cheers but I'm potentially doing things later so I thought I would put makeup on
1: yeah I like to try and get ready even if I'm not going anywhere because then I feel like more of a human being
0: yeah I'll always get dressed and stuff I just like sometimes I'm too lazy to put on actual makeup
1: I feel that sometimes I don't want to do it either Mm -hmm. yeah but I always try to get dressed like I'm not about to let coronavirus stop me from wearing my fall like, oh, you
0: No, like, hell I'm no. literally wearing
1: a skirt, a bodysuit, and knee high boots right now, and I'm just sitting in the house. I love that though.
0: You I'm gotta feel do what you do. I'm still
1: gonna feel cute, you know? Oh, just because sure. I can't go out into the world,
0: you can still feel cute for you.
1: Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Me, how am I? What's new with me? Again, not a lot. I'm a little stressy um, yesterday because of those 700 cases in Ontario. It's our highest one yet, and uh, I'm currently still house-sitting in the place that they have the most cases. <laughs> so we're like on lockdown mode here. We're not really doing anything other than grocery shopping and like going for walks outside. Um, I still am looking for secondary employment. Because, you know, event industry is not a great industry to be working in during a pandemic. And natural slow season. Let's let's see what else. Um I like cats now. I mean I never disliked cats, but now I like really want a cat. Because normally I see your cat, Jen, and I love Misty and I would like to love Misty, but Misty doesn't like me or many people so
0: this is true she is kind of a moody bitch but she's she's cute right now she's over there sleeping kind of she's giving me a side eye she's like hi i'm cute
1: but don't but touch I'm me mean. or i'll bite
0: you yeah don't touch me or i will hate you forever she's been like hissing a lot of us lately too and i'm like dude you don't hiss like she's never been a hisser but hey apparently
1: she cranky you no
0: know, she's just in a mood
1: why are you always in a mood fucking around acting like you're brand new. <laughs> I'm not trying to tell you what to do, Exactly. maybe play it cool.
0: She doesn't know how to play it cool.
1: No, she doesn't. I guess the other update I have, I think the last time we recorded a check-in was about 24 hours after I have arrived here into my temporary living with boyfriend situation, and I am happy to report uh, that we don't hate each other.
0: (laughs) That is a plus, for sure.
1: Things are going real well. We don't, we survived so far, Good. which is, you know, impressive because being around somebody for that amount of time can, you know, bring out yeah, anything in, in every couple. So we're Gucci. And I think that's, that's pretty much everything for me. All right. So today we are talking to
0: Rebecca, who is actually my personal recovery coach and We are so excited to have her here. So, Rebecca, do you want to introduce yourself?
2: Sure. Thanks, Jen. So, my name is Rebecca Rechtrich. Like Jen said, I am a recovery coach, and I work with individuals and families who've been touched by disordered eating and all the contributing factors that go along with that. Awesome.
0: Perfect. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into this line of work? Sure.
2: I personally battled my own eating disorder for over... A decade and recovery was an ongoing journey of starts and stops, as I think many of us can relate to. And in my late twenties, I ended up going into um, the hospital, into a treatment program. And for some reason, at that time, it seemed to take, which is pretty wonderful. And after that, I decided to go back to school. I wanted to work with other people who were struggling because I really do know what it's like to be in that dark hole. Um, And my own personal experience was that there are some wonderful professionals who support recovery. There are also some not so wonderful professionals that support recovery. Unfortunately, I think just a lack of understanding. From my own personal experience, there were some things I really would not wish on somebody else going through recovery and so that's why I decided to get into this field.
1: That's honestly really awesome having had your own experiences both you know with disordered eating and then having unpleasant experiences with the recovering process and you know other professionals within it so much so that you have you know kind of made that your own uh, career journey. I really love that. If somebody is listening to this and going through uh, an eating disorder and looking for recovery, what kind of things should they be on the lookout for when finding a professional to work with? Like what do you think would be some do's and don'ts of that?
2: Um, This is a great question. So I just want to preface it and say that every all my answers are my own opinion. So people may disagree and that's completely fine. From my journey when I was trying to get better um, there were only very sort of standardized options were made available to me and so i didn't know that there are other ways of going about treatment or recovery and so i think the biggest piece of advice i would give anybody is that if your program or your team or your facility is not working for you i wouldn't take that on as a personal failing there are other ways to approach recovery. And it really isn't one size fits all, although it can often seem that way and never stop trying. At some point, you will click with somebody. And I think that is the most important thing. But uh, unfortunately, I think our system, our formal system is underfunded and over needed which means that it does have to, in some ways, be quite standardized because they have to get as many people in and through as quickly as possible because the wait lists are just so long. So I I fully understand that piece of it. On Mm -hmm. the flip side, we're not all numbers. And no matter what your diagnosis is, it doesn't look the same from person to person. So to have this one size fits all approach, um, what it can do is become a barrier to certain people there's some labels i don't like in the field where they uh, a client or a patient can be labeled treatment resistant or jennifer (laughs) yeah are you smiling
0: yep Um, non-compliant we love that love being called non-compliant and i
2: think that in an area where people are already you know, I think a common symptom of eating disorders is self-esteem and self-worth. And to have an additional label like that put on can make it seem like it's an impossible or a a hopeless journey. So I would say never stop trying. If, If what you're doing isn't working for you, look outside the box.
0: I think that's a really important point, like especially because there are so many other options out there. But like you said, like sometimes you don't know that they're out there until you actually like, look into them and like do further research and I think like right now especially with COVID and everything the access to a lot of those types of things has become a little bit more uh, widespread just because a lot of it's virtual and whatnot so you can kind of reach different avenues that maybe were not necessarily local to you or not like feasible with your current situation but um, perhaps now you're able to find like online groups or online um, recovery coach or something along those lines as well.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting benefit that's come out of quarantine, surprisingly. Yeah, more online accessibility. So mm-hmm. I would agree with that for sure.
0: And hopefully that like continues to be something that goes after coronavirus as well, because I think it's a it's really handy for a lot of people.
2: I think too, some traditional options are just not viable for certain people. Not everyone has the ability to take months off of work or school or if their families to enter a treatment program. And so it can seem like, well, if I can't do that, then there's nothing for me. So that's the other reason I would say it's okay to be creative in creating a team to support you in recovery.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think too, like what you said about wait lists and stuff like that, cause that can become a big issue <laughs> um, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. For a lot of people, like for me, for example, like I'm told you have six months until like you're even viable for this program because there's such a long wait list. I'm like, well, I can't wait six months. So I had to be creative, had to make it make it work in the way that I could in the time being, because I knew like I couldn't wait that long. And obviously, like, again, not everyone is able to do that. But sometimes you got to just work with what you have as opposed to waiting for something to come save you. If that makes sense. Yeah.
1: So I guess I have kind of my follow up question is kind of more directed at Jen then. So Jen, how did you go about finding Rebecca?
0: Yeah. So it's actually a kind of a funny story. So I worked at a gym as our listeners know, I think by now (laughs) for a year and a half. And um, one of my clients actually had also struggled with an eating disorder and was kind of talking about how she was meeting with a recovery coach and had been like helping her a lot and stuff like that so when I started to like kind of recognize that I needed some help again I obviously like I went to my doctor and kind of went through that process but I also did some research on my own Um so basically honestly I just googled it looked at like a bunch of different options saw Rebecca's site and booked an initial consultation with her so we went in and we talked for like 30 minutes or so and I was like okay well might as well like give it a go, see what happens, and here we are, a bajillion months later—not actually, but um, almost a year, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah, I at first like I was pretty hesitant, and around like Christmas time, I kind of like stopped going because I was like, oh, I'm good, I'm fine. Um, Erin can vouch, I was not fine. <laughs> Rebecca um, can vouch too. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not fine. So. Um, then I started going more regularly in the new year and yeah, so initially, and it actually ends up being like the same person that my, um, personal training client was seeing as well. So yeah, that's how it kind of worked out. And then, yeah, honestly, just like Googling and finding a bunch of different resources is honestly like so helpful. I find hope that answered the question.
1: (laughs) It, It did. Yes. Yes, it did. So Rebecca, do you mind telling me a little bit more like in detail what a recovery coach does? Like say, you know, create imaginary client, like how would you kind of onboard them and what would be like, I know there's no kind of one size fits all, but is there kind of a general process that you take with clients until you, you know, learn a little bit more about them personally?
2: Uh, Sure. Absolutely. So I think the first thing that's important is that there is a difference between recovery coaching and therapy, whether it's psychotherapy, psychiatry, And really in a perfect system, all of those professionals would be working together, that you would have a psychologist, a dietitian, and a recovery coach, and maybe some other people. And that would be, again, in a perfect system, the whole team. We don't live in a perfect system, and very often um, for multiple reasons, whether it's access, economics, diagnosis, wait lists, people don't have access to all of those professionals. So recovery coaching is not supposed to replace any of those fields. Really, it's it's sort of the bridge between being a peer mentor and being a therapist. It's sort of that in-between space where you help clients learn how to live in recovery. And what I mean by that is and Jen, you may be able to chime in on this, is I went to a treatment program. And I guess my expectation was that I would go, and when I came out, I would be recovered. And the reality is, for me, I went in, and when I came out, I wasn't symptomatic. But I had no idea how to go from that very structured environment where your job is just recovery to transitioning that into how do I live in recovery in real life. And we see a lot of people struggle making that transition. Um, so when I'm working with clients, when they come in, the first thing to me, that's most important is fit. Do you feel safe? Do you feel comfortable? Um, my first consult is really just, we're getting to know each other. We ask each other questions. I tell everyone we laugh, we cry, we swear. That's how I do it because that's kind of how I always wanted to have a space for myself. I don't want to ever make assumptions on how someone's disorder presents for them, regardless of if it seems like we have a lot of similarities. So I do have an intake form where I ask a lot of quite uncomfortable questions, I'm sure. Um, It's also very important to me that anyone I work with is physically stable. So a lot of that intake process is to make sure that their physical well-being is not going to be a barrier to their work with me. So clients do have to have access to a family doctor if they're not part of a different type of medical treatment program because long-term your thought process, your mind is really what we need to improve and work work upon, but short-term it's our daily behaviors that put us at the highest risk of harm. So mm-hmm. we have to we have to address that first. And then really i think the approach that's a little bit different and again i understand why traditional or formal treatment has to be this way but not everybody is ready yet to jump right in with two feet and sometimes we have to slowly build and those goals may look smaller or insignificant to someone outside of our working relationship but i think it helps to build trust that as long as we're moving in the right direction we're moving mm-hmm. and small or seemingly small wins start to add up and build confidence that the things that i thought were impossible to do i realize, oh actually i do have the capacity to do this and it does start to snowball so i tell everybody i work with that i don't tell you you have to do anything um i think that's really important I- I can't anyways. I'm not with you 24 hours a day. So any goals we come up with are always collaborative because, well, again, Jen, you may be able to attest to this. If I were to sit down and tell someone you have to do this and they're sitting across from me thinking there's absolutely no way I am doing this, they're not going to do it anyways. And so there's really no purpose in setting goals like that. We don't typically need any assistance feeling like we failed if you struggle with an eating disorder. So to set goals that feel unattainable or impossible or there's too much resistance around just doesn't make sense. So everything is very collaborative.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That that shed a lot of light. Sorry, Jen.
2: Go
0: ahead. No, no, you're good. Um, yeah, I would say like that is one thing that is, I found very helpful in working with you is having those goals and like being a part of making those goals. You actually can make them things that seem Attainable and seem reasonable to you, and it doesn't mean they're going to be like easy at all. But if it seems more feasible, then you're more likely to attempt it. I feel like, and especially if you're are, like helping to create that goal, you feel like you have more control and more assertion in that as well. So I find that to be very helpful.
2: Which I just want to add to what Jen was saying. It doesn't mean the goals are easy. I do challenge all my clients, and they don't always like what I have to say. But that is my job because that eating disorder is so manipulative. It'll find any very realistic sounding reason not to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think then that's really important because that's what the barrier is. And if we don't unpack that, we're never going to get to the goal. Right.
0: Yeah, for sure.
2: I think one of the other. Um, what I consider one of the other big differences with recovery coaching from some other types of support is that I try to make myself available between sessions Um, from my own experience what I found challenging was going to see my professional whoever it was and then not seeing them for a week or 10 days and then coming in for an hour and by that point a you may have forgotten all the stuff that you wanted to talk about or you were so overwhelmed that you would spend the whole session unpacking the week without talking about what next steps were so Mm -hmm. To the best of my ability, I go to bed very early, so sometimes that's a bit of a blockage. But I do try to be available between sessions, and I I think that's helpful.
0: I can uh, vouch for that; it's very helpful. <laughs> when I you can literally just like send a message when you're feeling a certain thing instead of like having to like remember it and write down how you're feeling and like try and bring that back like five days later. Be like, oh, I felt like this. You in the moment, you can be like, I'm feeling like this. Um, I find that very helpful, and like for a while too, I was meeting Rebecca like twice a week and texting her in between, so she got a lot of me. But um, I'm really look how far we've like, come. I know, whole different person over here. <laughs> but yeah, it's really I think that's a very helpful thing of, of um like having a recovery coach as opposed to just like having a professional that you see once a week or once every other week.
1: I feel like they should do more of that kind of stuff for um other mental health issues, because I know when I was going to therapy, that was something I always kind of struggled with is when you go there, there's only like so much a that like maybe you're ready to talk about in the moment, but that you're able to rebring up and you almost want somebody there for those in the moment, like, hey, this is what my thought process is like, what do I do with this? And it's, it's easier to do that in the moment than it is, uh, you know, once a week or once every two weeks.
2: Yeah. It's a model that's been used in addictions recovery quite successfully for a while, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because there are a lot of parallels between disordered eating and addiction, even though they are not the same thing. And it's great to sit down with someone and you actually can be motivated in that hour and you set goals and you're like, yes, I'm going to do it. And then tomorrow comes and you're on your own and you're like, Nope, not feeling it today. And so to have somebody who can actually a understand what it's like to know I want to do it, but also don't want to do it. So there's that empathy and compassion, but also can help you stick through and challenge that negative side so that you are accomplishing things, I think makes a really big difference. And it's been yeah. really successful with uh, sobriety, like really successful in that model so hopefully it starts to take off in other
0: areas of recovery too yeah I think it's key too because I know for me like if I'm feeling shitty in one moment and then like the next day I wake up feeling great I just kind of forget about the feeling shitty and I'm like oh I'm good now like whatever but that can lead to like not really addressing the issues and then kind of like comes up again later on but if you're able to like kind of address it in the moment sometimes it makes it more long-lasting for the future as well
1: So Rebecca, do you mind telling me how I can be and how anybody listening to this episode can be, um, you know, the best support or a better support to their friend who is struggling with disordered eating or going through recovery?
2: Sure. I will say again, there is no one size fits all, right? Because your loved one is not a number and everyone Mm -hmm. will have unique needs. So that, I just want to put that out. Um, I think the one thing that is sort of a safe approach no matter which end of the spectrum of disordered eating your loved one is struggling with one of the more difficult challenges in recovery is that you are dealing with battling your own thoughts which is a full-time job you're also dealing with multiple times a day having to face the thing that scares you the most that's a full-time job you're also trying to learn how to live in the world and monitor your emotions and, and keep track of yourself. It's, everything is so much work, but it's really the outside world maybe sees the tip of the iceberg of that effort. So when you're in recovery, you're tired. It is exhausting to go through this process. And on top of it, we live in a world where diet, body, weight, shape, food, fitness has become so pervasive I don't think people even realize how much they talk about it it's like talking about the weather right it's such <clears> a normal topic of conversation and when you are in recovery it's like sandpaper all over you every time that comes up would you
0: agree with that Jen yeah for sure especially in the early stages it's just it's a lot and like trying to, well like for me especially like working in a gym obviously it came up quite a bit and when you're really really not doing well trying to like combat those thoughts and like try and shift other people's perspectives is like running into a brick wall basically and it's it's yeah
2: i think ah. if you even take a step back but before you get to a place of even being confident or comfortable trying to shift people's perspective that draws attention to yourself right so there's there's a phase where we don't even want to talk say hey do you mind changing the topic so i think the first thing is for each of us to try and bring some awareness to the type of conversations we're having and engaging in, whether it seems harmless as a general topic or whether we're talking about our bodies or somebody else's, and try to take some of the pressure off of our loved ones from having to add that as another piece of now having to advocate for themselves on top of everything else that they're Mm -hmm. going through. You can even help to advocate if you know someone's in recovery, That if conversations go in that direction, to help steer them in a different direction. So I think that's probably, honestly, it seems simple. It's probably one of the most beneficial things that you can do for someone in recovery. If I go further than that, often when someone is struggling, we can see that they're struggling when we know them really well. And we might ask, what do you need? You may have done this before and your person says, I don't know what I need. They're not trying to be difficult. Mm -hmm. They actually may not know what they need. And so um, I still think it's a wonderful question because as they get stronger in recovery, they will start to learn more and more about what they need. And that is part of their recovery is learning to speak out about what they need. So that's Mm -hmm. that's partially their job. Um, one of the things I do see sometimes, maybe, maybe more than sometimes, is when we see someone we love struggling, we try to find solutions that we think would be the right ones in this situation. And I like to describe often to parents, disordered eating is like living in the mirrored funhouse. Everything looks same, same, but different. So to a healthy mind, someone saying to you, hey, you look great, you look so healthy, that's, that's a compliment. Jen, maybe I can check in with you, like, what is it like in the disordered mind when someone says, you look so healthy?
0: Um, basically sounds the same as you look fat. And yeah, you you kind of just spiral out on that. Because when you're like really deep in the disorder, you don't you don't want to be healthy. You want to be like, thin, you want to be sick, you want to be all of those things. And it's really fucked up when you think about it with a logical mind. But when you're in the depths of a mental illness, there's no real logic. So it's uh, definitely not the compliment that people tr- think it is when they're saying it to you, right? So, yeah. So, you know, keeping in mind that what works for the healthy
2: mind may be perceived in a very different way in the disordered mind,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and not trying to fix in the way that you would want the situation to be fixed, because good intentions often are not perceived that way in recovery. And then just to add on to that, any type of appearance-based comments, whether they are positive, neutral, negative, I would just say steer clear of that. There are a Mm -hmm. lot of other ways to compliment someone that has nothing to do with appearance. And Probably, this is my bias, I would say that to anybody, not just someone in recovery, let's try and move away from appearance-based compliments because you don't actually know why someone's appearance is changing. Kind of a risky game to play
1: yeah being alongside Jen in this kind of uh, bout of recovery with her that's something I've definitely learned as a person is um just to be more creative with what you compliment people on because people are a lot more than what they just look like
2: <laughs> yeah
1: so there's so much more in my friend that I can say than you know her outward appearance and I think that's something I've definitely learned and taken away from Uh, being so close to her through this journey.
2: I love that. It also helps the individual themselves remember that they are more than their appearance, you know, and that's especially if you've struggled for a long time with an eating disorder, you tend to lose pieces of yourself or forget about those pieces of yourself. And as much as you have to do recovery for you, that has to be that intrinsic drive. There are times when that just doesn't exist. It's just not there. And so to have some external motivation, but coming from these healthy, positive places that remind the person of their value outside of what they look like,
0: I think goes a really long way. Especially like during a pandemic too, when the world kind of feels like it's falling apart. And Mm -hmm. there's times, I know, especially like during the initial lockdown, I was like, why why the fuck am I even doing this? The world's just never going to be normal again. Like I might as well just continue what I'm doing, but Like having those positive reinforcements from like external sources can be
2: helpful. So I'd say in general terms, that's probably what I would encourage everyone to start with. And lastly, this one is my own personal opinion. It was really important to me that I had people I felt safe to share what my wins were, what my challenges were. But also sometimes I didn't want to talk about recovery. I didn't want to be in that world, even just for an hour, just to give me a break, because you're in it 24 hours a day. It's not like going to school or going to work. It's literally every minute of every day. You have to be in recovery mindset. And that's tiring. We're still people, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. I just want to sit down and watch Seinfeld and have a giggle and just forget for a moment that this is the majority of my life is recovery. And I just want to feel normal. Normal. Sorry, I don't like that word, but for this air quotes purpose, around
1: normal. Yeah, <laughs> correct. Yeah, I I think as one of Jen's close friends, um, especially in the last few months, I've really gotten to see Jen come back to Jen and not just a recovery version of Jen. So Jen and I knew each other when we were kids, and then we weren't like close again until both of us graduated university and moved back home, and we're supposed to do the same program. Um, but that, like, got and us I talking sure. again. Which is fine. <laughs> I survived. But if, I feel like I'm getting to know her as who she really is, and not the shell of her that I think that I was reintroduced to a couple of years ago. And I'm really admiring that in her you're awesome. That's <laughs> I think, I think when... When we got reconnected, though, she wasn't fully aware of where she was at in needing more recovery, you know, I I feel like I've seen this part, uh, seen Jen go from, like, a person who was kind of, like, doing okay, but not, you know, the best version of herself, and then watching her kind of get a little bit better, and then really become... You know, a shell of herself again, and somebody who needed a lot of support. And now I'm, I get, you know, to see the, the upward half of that journey, and see her reconnect with parts of herself that for so, so, so long haven't been there, or just in general she didn't know about herself. And I think that, um, as a close friend, it's just it's really powerful to watch somebody. Like find themselves like that. And I'm personally really enjoying that.
0: Love you, (laughs) bitch. I
1: love you too.
2: You know, Erin, that's, first of all, if I may, Jen, I agree. As you know, (laughs) we talk about this. And Jen and I have had conversations before about the difference between not being sick and being well. And a lot of people in recovery, it's not a one and done. It might take a few tries and i don't say that to be discouraging keep trying but we i don't know where we actually get this assumption from i'm still trying to figure it out that if we're not engaged in the behaviors we're recovered but if we're not engaging in the behaviors we're not sick but it doesn't necessarily mean that we are thriving in life it we end up walking this tightrope between always trying to manage not to slip back into those behaviors, but we haven't actually gotten to this point of I'm just living without disorder. And it's that extra step. That's where you see people not sliding back. So that I think that's where we're seeing you, Jen, is going from that not sick into learning how to live. And it's pretty awesome.
0: I think that's like such a key point too, because especially with the way that some treatment programs are structured is like you, you gain the weight and you get discharged. You're not like actively engaging in symptoms, you're good to go. But that makes it very easy for someone who's ill with an eating disorder to play the system and to also just continue to be in that constant cycle of being not sick or like medically stable and then going back into old habits. And even like when I was doing well, when we met Aaron, for example. Like I was into fitness and stuff like that, but there were like disordered things in my like repertoire that I just didn't acknowledge as being disordered, but I was quote unquote healthy and like my weight was fine. My medically, I was good, but mentally, like I still wasn't great, if that makes sense. So there is a difference between being not sick and actually being recovered or living in recovery even and working towards finding that kind of end goal of being happy and healthy in its realest sense and not in the eating disorders definition of it.
2: I think, Jen, you, you if I may, you bring up a, an important point that two things to consider when we are not sick, we live in a world where health or healthy, the term has become quite bastardized. And so a lot of disordered behaviors are very normalized and praised and sought after. And so they're not always recognized as being problematic, which is really dangerous. And secondly, much like other addictions, that if there is simply dealing with the symptom without something properly healthy, sustainable, and wholesome to take the place, it leaves a vacuum and we see it. Then one problematic behavior can be replaced with a different one. So it looks like, well, I'm not doing that, but meanwhile, I'm doing X, Y, Z over here, that doesn't appear to be as bad, but if it's still being driven by the same types of motivation and it's still causing chaos in my life, we're missing the mark somewhere.
0: For sure. And I feel I feel like I've had experience with that myself in the past too, not only with just eating and behaviors related to that, but with also like in like my second year of university, my eating was like relatively okay, but I was like very depressed. I didn't really like I basically just lived to go out I was like very reliant on my ex-boyfriend like there were a lot of other problematic things that I had turned to because I hadn't actually dealt with the issues I just stopped the symptoms you know or the obvious symptoms yeah exactly
1: that was that was actually very helpful I enjoyed that little conversation I also like uh celebrating Jen and her wins so that was fun for me (laughs) you're too kind Um, I guess a a very specific question that I have. I think one thing I've struggled with when being a, a support system for Jen is I have a hard time knowing how to respond when Jen will say something to me along the lines of, I feel like I look big today or I feel fat. And I want to respond in a way that is helpful and not like reinforcing that being bigger and gaining weight is. Bad and that you should avoid it. So I, I struggle with how to respond to those. I just want to know if I could, if I'm like doing the right thing, and I don't want to be reinforcing like things in her mind. That would be oh no, gaining weight is bad, or because I don't want to be like no, you don't look fat because I mean she doesn't. But then I'm like, is that reinforcing like a negative mindset?
2: That is a great question, and it is a really flipping hard one to answer. Um, again, I default to not everybody is the same, and not everybody has the same kind of relationship that the two of you obviously do. I know when I'm working with parents, the approach that I like to take is that's not a question we answer because it's still putting focus on body. And one of the tools I use with my clients is something called healthy self versus eating disorder. We've got these two sides. We've got the rational side and then we've got this negative bully who sounds like us and sounds very convincing, but if you know, if we look a little bit closer, not founded in fact, and often, which side is asking that question? It's not the healthy self, no. and yeah. so we're actually engaging with the wrong self. And just again, going back to the example of the the mirrored funhouse where. Things can appear a certain way, but they're often interpreted the other way. Sometimes there's no right way to answer that question. Because let's say someone says, do I look fat in this? And you say no. Disordered mind says, well, they're lying. But if I said yes, well, now I'm like, well, do you see what, like, there is no right way To really Mm -hmm. answer that question so one of the approaches that i like to use is we often find that people who struggle with body image use fat as sort of a catch-all i feel fat i look fat but it's not about appearance it's more just you know fat isn't a feeling so i Mm -hmm. like to go well how are you actually feeling let's talk about that because fat isn't a feeling Now, that works for some people. Some people want an answer, and they're not going to let you get away with saying, we're we're not answering that. And I think then we have to take it on a case-by-case basis, depending on the relationship and the person. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. there isn't a standard way to answer this question. I know that's not really helpful, I know, but it's the truth.
1: No, I mean, it is helpful in the sense uh, it kind of does reaffirm that the way I am responding and especially at least for like my relationship with Jen and like with how Jen receives what I'm saying is helpful because a lot of the time my response tends to go along the lines of you're beautiful and your eating disorder can suck my dick. <laughs> so, because <laughs> yep, I like know it's, yeah. not, it's not her saying that to me. I've, I've kind of started to understand the difference of when Jen's talking to me And when her eating disorder is talking to me and I know like as she's kind of Faced with new obstacles, I kind of started to notice when her eating disorder starts to creep back in because she's facing something new or she's introducing something into her life that she hasn't really dabbled in either ever or in a long time. Mm-hmm. Specifically, right now, for me, I've noticed that uh, in dating, <laughs> certain things will start to come up, and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, that was actually, yeah quite helpful.
2: I think you make a really great point that that eating disorder voice comes up not just around body and food. It comes up in a lot of areas. And now I'm not saying it would be helpful to undermine your person and say you're being irrational because that's not going to get you any kind of positive response, that I can guarantee you. Mm -hmm. But if you yourself know that that's the irrational voice talking, trying to rationalize with that, you can't. That side is so clever. It can make truth out of non-fact so quickly that really, no matter what you say, it'll have a rebuttal for it. So it's better to find a different way to shift the conversation or not engage with those thoughts because you just can't win. No yeah. matter what you say, you won't win.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's very helpful for for people listening to this because I know the way Jen and I communicate works for Jen and I and that's definitely not going to, you know, apply across the board. So, and I think at the beginning of this journey what I found helpful and though also again may not work for everybody, but I very much so was like, "Hey, is this helpful or is this harmful?" And I would ask Jen that and there are some people who are going to lie to you because that's what their eating disorder brain is going to encourage them to do. But I think for the most part, and Jen, you can you know confirm or deny this, I think that was helpful for us because then I was able to learn things that are helpful to her to say and then things that are not helpful, and I would then steer clear, because I know that intent does not always equal impact. So I want to make sure that while I have good intentions, I also am achieving the impact that I would like to achieve and not hurting her more. I yeah, that. I think
0: I think I found that like extremely helpful for sure, because it, it shows that you you actually wanted to help and you wanted to know how to help properly and you weren't just kind of saying things out of just saying them. But I think also because of where I was at in my journey with my eating disorder, I'd learned a lot of those things about myself already. Whereas people who maybe like newer in their journey to recovery or uh, newer to struggling with it, if they haven't been through like, you know, the treatment rigmarole yet, they might not know exactly how to answer those questions. But I think even just presenting them with that, it helps you kind of think about it yourself and hopefully like be able to say, okay, yeah, when people say this, it is helpful to me when people say this. My eating disorder latches onto that, like kind of just trying to figure out what works for them. Obviously, it doesn't always happen like very quickly or very easily, but it's very much a learning process, I would say, for everyone involved. I'm glad you added that last piece
2: for everybody involved. We have our individual who struggles, who's in recovery, but their support is in recovery, too. It just looks a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a learning curve for everyone. Right. And I think that part can be really challenging not to personalize when someone on either side does something where you're like, man, that was mean, because realistically, most people's intentions are positive when it's someone they care about. But to your point, Aaron, intention and impact actually quite often don't align in the early days of recovery, but trying the best we can from every perspective to acknowledge that there is a learning curve and we're going to make mistakes and really not personalizing, especially on the support side to separate the eating disorder from the person, which I know yeah. is not always easy to do. No, it, it definitely can be, it
0: can be difficult for sure. The learning curve on both sides.
1: part in the recovery journey, at least from like what I've experienced with like Jen's recovery that like I've seen in myself is that as she starts to do new things and say things I'm always like is that really Jen talking to me or is that the eating disorder part of her brain coming through trying to convince me that what she's doing is a healthy behavior
0: and I think that's a valid thing to like struggle with and I think even personally sometimes I don't always know but it's kind of just learning I guess and I yeah yeah. thing is
2: that eating disorder will always try and find space for a period of time, not for your whole life. I I think I want to make that point very clear. People do recover. And some people have to live in recovery, much like alcoholism, where there's always an awareness. And some people really recover and live a life where it's not always, oh, I just have to be extra cautious. So it doesn't have to be a lifelong sentence. I think that's really important for people to know. But it is a learning curve and that eating disorder for a period of time will try and find space. And when their traditional avenues are closed, you know, around, let's say, food and exercise, you'd be amazed at where can find space in other arenas where you would not even think the eating disorder could latch onto something. And so even the individual has to to go from that not sick to being well. There is a level of incredible radical honesty you need to have with yourself about what your intentions are when you're doing something. And sometimes you don't know that till afterwards. And then you're like, whoop, Mm -hmm. I hit a bump." But then the honesty has to come up, whether it's I talk to my support person or I reflect on that so that the next time I'm in a scenario like that, I'm not hitting the same bump. But that really only comes from
0: being honest, Mm -hmm. which sometimes sucks to do. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, so I just want to be mindful of the time. Is there anything that you have well, that we haven't talked about that you wanted to say? Just one thing
2: that eating disorders, disordered eating, um, Jen knows this, I'm not a stickler for labels, is a spectrum. None of them are more dangerous or harmful than a different one. And unfortunately, even in that, there seems to be a bit of a hierarchy in how they're regarded and how they are able to access treatment. Um, And one of the things I'd like more people to know is that there is no sick enough to get treatment or support. If you're struggling, you are already sick enough. It doesn't matter what your body looks like. It's the thought process that is really damaging. Eating disorders are very competitive. And when we get into that space of thinking that we need to be XYZ in order to be deserving of help. We often go far long far longer than necessary into the whole, which means that recovery is a longer journey. I think that and I'm not trying to be overly critical of traditional or the medical treatment model. I wouldn't be alive today if that didn't exist. And again, it is very underfunded, and there are far too many people who need that service than we have the ability to provide for. But one of the challenges with that is if you don't fit neatly into a diagnostic box, you may not qualify for that kind of treatment, which can make you think you're not sick enough. And that's probably one of the most dangerous myths that exists in this arena, that there is no sick enough. If you are struggling or you know someone struggling, please please find what kind of resources are available to them. Because at any point you can start to make change that is beneficial to your life. Don't have to wait until it is a crisis because actually you're already in a crisis if you're struggling with any kinds of thoughts or behaviors around disordered eating. That's very important.
1: So we like to close off our guest episodes with one final question. And that is, how do you live your life authentically?
2: (laughs) This is a good question. How do I live my life authentically? Well, how do I answer this question succinctly? I would say there's two things. One, I find the older I get, the younger I become. And it's wonderful that the older I get, the less I want to fit in, the less I want to follow the rules, the less serious I want to be. So that to me is me authentically living. And the second piece is... oh. Rightly or wrongly, I really do say what's on my mind, and I have learned that not everybody likes that. But that's not actually my responsibility. No, it ain't. <laughs> no, it ain't.
1: I love that. Perfect. Thank you. This
2: was and fun, ladies. Oh, sorry, I cut you no, off. No, no, no.
0: Sorry, you're good. Um, if anyone is wants to find you on social or on the internet, where could they go? So my website is rebecca and on
2: Facebook, the same. And on Instagram, that's a good question. I think it's Rebecca Recovery. Let me have a look.
1: We'll also Re- be putting it in the episode description so people can find it that way as well. Yeah, It good. is Rebecca Recovery. Okay, perfect. Awesome.
2: <laughs> this was really fun. Thank you, ladies. I no problem. think you're both doing a really wonderful job with these podcasts. The topics are great. They're personal. Well, you. You're doing a really wonderful job. So
0: thank, thank you, you for putting this
1: out in the world.
0: And thank you for coming on. We really appreciated it.
1: Yeah, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today.
0: It was my pleasure. I had a lot of fun. All right, so thank you guys so much for listening once again. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Check out Rebecca on social media, and we will catch up with you guys next week. Bye.